Hello and welcome to Settling the Score, the podcast where we discuss the great film scores. I'm John. And I'm Andy. We've assembled a list of hundreds of film scores that are considered worth talking about, and with the help of our listeners, we've been assigning them to ourselves by random drawing. And this time, well, (laughs) we thought we would take a little break in the incessant royal of assigning ourselves entries out of that bucket by random drawing because we've done a bunch of them now and uh, thought it might be time for a little retrospective recap. Yeah, here's the history on this if you haven't been with us since the beginning. The first 25 plus episodes of this podcast, we were going down the list that the American Film Institute put out a long time ago called the, uh, 100 Years of Film Scores. 100 Years of Film Scores, where they announced these are the 25 top film scores in American cinema history, purportedly. <laughs> when we got to the end of the list, we did a little wrap-up episode on which I posed to you, John, a uh, can-you-recognize-these-clips quiz. A devilishly difficult <laughs> name-that-tune quiz, yes. Right. That was just like a little celebratory game. And when we were done with that episode, I thought, well, that was fun for me. So (laughs) when we've done 25 more of these, uh, let's do that again. So guess how many scores we've talked about since then, John? A lot more than 25. Yeah, because after we did 25, I totally wasn't thinking about this and completely forgot. And things just kept going and we did three more. So we (laughs) are now celebrating our 28 scores anniversary. (laughs) I mean, then there have also been quite a few now multi-score episodes, the yearly Oscars episodes. And there was that one uh, woebegone experiment where we tried to listen to every score that was written in the year 1995. It wasn't woebegone, but it is exempted from this tally. As are the Oscar. as are the Oscar episodes, absolutely. A handful of more scores that we've done on Patreon as bonus episodes too. Also not counted in the tell. <laughs> We're only looking at the main feed full episodes since that first chapter of the show, and I guess we're calling this the second chapter of the show. <laughs> Why not? So the second reason I've been wanting to do this is because something we did on that AFI wrap up episode was talk sort of generally about thoughts we'd had that were not specific to any one score, just musings about the whole project. Mm -hmm. And I thought it would be nice to do a little of that again, but mostly it's just because I I love doing quizzes. I love that kind of thing. (laughs) Hey, I love doing quizzes too. Some listeners may be aware, yeah. Yeah, But but I am kind of nervous about this quiz because if listeners haven't heard that earlier episode, boy, what a tough quiz. Andy went through each of those 25 scores and endeavored to find the least recognizable moment from it that he could. The little nooks and crannies and crevices where he could plausibly convince me that something written by one composer was written by another composer. Now, to what degree is that the case about what you've done this time? Well, we'll talk about this. As we have had occasion to say, the AFI had a certain sense of the history of movies that it was trying to promote. And by going beyond that, we've brought in all kinds of other voices and other enthusiasms and other traditions. And I'm sure someone could say there's a lot more that you haven't touched on. I agree. Of course. Nonetheless, there's a sense that the palette has been broader in these 
28 scores than those. Undoubtedly. And accordingly, it is harder to make them sound like each other by picking tricky bits of them. They just are intrinsically more different from each other. You know, it's a pretty good list of movies, I gotta say, right it off the bat. It is a pretty good list of movies. As I was typing them out, I'm like, oh, you know what? This is a pretty good list of movies. You could have a fun uh, festival with these movies. And I guess that is what we're about to have. <laughs> Now, I'm going to put out a caveat right now that I have not really studied for this quiz. I've, you know, dipped my toe into some of the scores, but like a lot of these things, I really haven't revisited since we recorded the episode. I hadn't either until I went to put this together, and I really enjoyed dipping back into these. And that, in fact, is the point. This kind of a walk down memory lane just for the game fun of it is satisfying for me. So I hope it is for you. It doesn't really matter how you do on the quiz. Well, thank you. And I want everybody to remember that. And I'm going to come back to that <laughs> as often as I need to during this. But yes, I, as much as is possible for somebody who factually is one of the hosts of this show, I am still coming to this as a surrogate for you, the listener, who maybe has heard some of these episodes and sure would be able to recognize like the big famous thing but it's going to be tough to have full recall of all of the little nitty-gritty details that Andy has dug up here. The fun of the nitty-gritty details is supposed to be, uh, it refreshes one's impression. If you don't know what something is and you have to listen to it without a name, without a context, it's sometimes like, oh, you hear it in a different way. That's true. I'm going to have to like reverse engineer what these things are just based on what they sound like, which is, I guess, you know, uh, perhaps gratifying way to <laughs> to learn about what the music is really made of after all. But given all of your nerves about this, I had this thought, maybe we should do a warm-up quiz first oh. for you, John, so that you can feel <laughs> like you've gotten your gears turning. Okay. But also for the listeners who we don't expect you necessarily to have been with us all along or to have listened to all 28 of these episodes, or even Certainly if not. you did, to remember what they were. Certainly not. So if you want to play along, maybe a little orientation before the hard part. Okay. is appropriate. So here's what I came up with. This is actually a test of me rather than you, John. I'm glad to hear I it. attempted to find, rather than a 15 to 20 second clip of obscure parts of each movie, an exactly one second clip <laughs> from each movie that I believe... I'm banking my reputation yeah. on your ability to immediately identify the movie and the scene from exactly one second. Oh, great. No pressure. I was trying to find the thing that I would be like, well, he'll know what that is. Everyone will know what that is. Okay. Well, that's a fun game, too. I hope. So just a couple things about what I was going for here. Uh -huh. None of these clips are from the main or end titles. They have to be from scenes of the movie. Okay. And I wanted you to say a specific scene in the movie. Sometimes the most recognizable thing from a movie appears so many times in the movie that it wouldn't really serve well to make you say one thing. And even a couple of these, I felt like, well, I have to go with this anyway, even though it appears like twice. I get 10 points if you get it exactly right on the first guess, <laughs> and five points if you say a different scene that's not the one I was thinking of, but that also uses that music and technically you're right, or if you get it on the second guess, because you know, some of these, it's just too hard. I have to allow two guesses. This is like one of those party games where you have to like draw something and then the person who did the drawing gets the points for how many people guess it correctly. Yeah, exactly. This is like a right. password. It's on me to pass you the word. Okay, so hopefully if you haven't heard all these episodes, this will give you a little taster. Yeah, that's right. Listener, your game is see if you can beat John to identifying. Okay, 
All right, here I go. Clip one, one second long. <laughs> Let's see what we got. <laughs> uh, okay, well, this is the dramatic chipmunk. Movie and scene, as quickly as possible. It's Young Frankenstein. What's the scene? It's the establishing shot of the castle. Correct. Ten points. Great. Ten points for everybody. All right, number two. This is Life's Incredible again from The Incredibles. This is the scene where uh, Bob is working out and getting into shape and stuff. Ten points. Great. Number three. Okay, it's that breathy choir. This is the embarkation of the Titanic from Titanic. Correct. Okay, I'm three for three. Yeah. Okay, number four. That is the pianola in Touch of Evil, which is associated with Marlene Dietrich's character. Is this when she is walking away at the end of the movie? Uh, I'll give myself five points. I was thinking of the scene when he walks into her place at the beginning. It's the same thing. That's what I'm saying. That's why I had to accommodate that. Okay. Diddly, 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 diddly. This is Frank Sinatra getting ready to get a hit of heroin in The Man with the Golden Arm. Correct. This is Interstellar, and now you have to give me some leeway in Interstellar because this music plays over innumerable shots and cuts in Interstellar, Mm. but this is, uh, you know... What am I banking on you guessing? uh, You know, wormhole stuff. He's in the wormhole. He's he's interacting with the bookshelf. The audience is shouting it out. Oh, no! I pulled the audience. I pulled the audience. That's five points. That's five points. I was thinking of the scene where they're docking with the broken spinning Uh, space station. Yeah, but come on. Come on. Okay, number seven. Uh This is Batman. This is... I'm going to say this is driving into the Bat Cave in Batman. Absolutely correct. Correct. Wow, I'm impressing myself. Number eight. This is the best years of our lives, and it is... I'm going to say when they're uh, first getting home in the cab. Correct, exactly. Ten points. I'm really impressed with myself. Oh, boy. Okay, number nine. This is most assuredly the day the Earth stood still. I actually do remember all these movies. Look at that. And this is radar from the day the Earth stood still when there's radar. Holy Christmas. Correct. (laughs) I'm up to ten. Number ten next. Yep. American Beauty. Can't get that past me. But what specific moment... It's got to be the plastic bag in the wind, right? Correct. Okay. I like the facet of this that you are expecting me to get it so I can kind of lean towards the memorable obvious thing, which is such a refreshing change from what I was expecting to be happening now. It's warming you up. Here we go. Number 11. I feel like I'm getting warmer as we go. Number 11. Well, come on. (laughs) (laughs) I... I bet you'd pick this because... How would you describe that rhythm, John? How might anybody describe that rhythm? Let's hear it again. Oh, it seems like there's a short note followed by a long note as part of the same beat. This is the answer to the quiz question we posed from the last episode about when did we say Scotch Snap? When did we not say Scotch Snap? When did we specifically not say Scotch Snap? Well, we said it and then we cut cut it out. Yeah, Yeah. It's not really a culturally relevant term here, so maybe (laughs) that's why you wanted me to cut it. Yeah, you wouldn't associate Scotch things with the mean streets of Philadelphia, which is where Rocky is jogging and getting strong now. He is about to be getting strong now in so many words. Yes, correct, 10 points. As you said to me as we were talking about, where was that Scotch snap? You said, I wonder if this is maybe one of the most famous Scotch snaps in music history, even though it's nothing Scotch about it. Number 12. Yeah. 
Well, this is a commercial for Modelo beer, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> but first it was. But it is, of course, the beginning of the ecstasy of gold from The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. But what's happening on screen, John, during that second? They're in a three-way shootout looking at each other? No, 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 John. Hmm. Oh, but what am I thinking? Uh, oh, oh uh, he's, uh, he's running in a circle around the graveyard. Well, not yet, because the music's not that upset yet. Correct. Okay. I mean, come on. Look, I know where it is. It's. Uh, I'm he... giving you the 10 points. He just hit his head on a gravestone, and now he's looking up and realizing he got Ooh. where he was going. Arch Stanton. That's right. That's right. Okay, going on. Number 13. <laughs> this is, uh, you can just hear the... Here, I'm going to do it with pens here. You can hear the... The clicking, clacking of sword fighting happening on the top of the Cliffs of Insanity in The Princess Bride. Going on. 14. Hmm... Hmm. Okay, okay, this has got to be Bullet. And what's going on? It's like the prelude to the famous car chase. Correct. Ten points. All right. Fifteen? Fifteen. Can't be anything but North by Northwest. Boy, I feel great about myself now. This is a, what a great idea it was to start this way. What's happening in North by Northwest? Um, he's uh, he's dangling from uh, a president's face. Is he on Mount Rushmore? No, and uh, John, I can't even accept that for five points because you don't hear this music while anyone's dangling off Mount Rushmore. Second guess. Okay, second guess. I mean, you hear, obviously, music related to it. So, yeah, this is music from the overture of the main titles, which comes back again while he's drunkenly driving the car down the That mountain. is absolutely correct. Okay, great, 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 great. Five points for that. Uh, it was a fair five points. I'm sorry. It was just a slip of the tongue. 16. Well, I got to hear that one again. Hmm. This was a tough score to find a thing from. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, on the strength of the fact that it sounds a lot like... A James Bond cue. I could have found something that you would immediately say what the score was, but to get us when, when we would immediately say what the scene was, was harder. So I'm saying that this is The Incredibles. No. Oh. That's on me. It's on me, man. All right. I mean, listen, this sounds a lot like a John Barry texture, right? No, no, no. I'm going to be embarrassed when it comes I'm up. I'm saying no, 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 because I feel like, oh, I didn't do this right. Didn't do this right. The music is a little higher brow than you're hearing it. Huh. You hear what I'm hearing, though, right? Yeah, I am. And uh, I regret this choice. It sounds to me most like the piece from On Her Majesty's Secret Service that was used in the teaser trailer for The Incredibles. I know, I know, I know. It's all wrong. Listen, John, here was the thinking behind this. Okay. Can we play the thing that I think it sounds like just to show that it sounds like that? It does. Yeah, you don't need to back it up. Everyone agrees with you. Everyone <laughs> agrees that this was not a good choice, but some of them also know what this is. I'm sure they do. I picked this because I did not think that you would have very good recall of specific scenes from the movie other than this scene. And then I thought, what is the most kind of striking one second I can find in this scene? But I did not think clearly enough about what camouflage that would mean it had and you are now saying very reasonable things about what that one second sounds like is it conan the barbarian that little phrase is the catchiest to my ear of several little figures in a theme just used in this one scene that is a long series of little jerky figures like that oh it's got to be spartacus that's correct Okay, all right. Well, that's got a big, adventuresome, dense orchestra sound, too. Yes. 
But now think, you know, use some meta thinking here. Why did I pick this moment? What scene must that be? Is this the gladiator fight? Yes, it's the gladiator fight in Spartacus. Okay, okay, okay. I can hear that now, yeah. As you might imagine, there are things in Spartacus. There's like the gladiators training and there's the main theme from Spartacus. But I thought if I play you a clip of that, you'll say, I don't know when this is from because that's how you feel about Spartacus. Was I right about that? I like Spartacus okay. Oh, all right. Well, I got it wrong. I'm, I like the first half of Spartacus pretty good, and then it gets a little leggy. All right, I'm giving myself a fail on that one. That's just the way it goes. Going on, 17. Can't win them all. 17. Well, that's definitely How to Train Your Dragon. I have a very recent memory of that. Uh, I'm going to say that's the beginning of Test Drive. That's right, but what's happening, John? They're flying, or they're getting ready to fly? They're training to fly? Oh, they're flying. Yeah, that's it. They're flying. Okay, they're flying. Yeah, that's, 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 that's right. That counts. That counts. Oh, wait, that's 10 points counts. Uh, 10 points. 18. Da, ba, 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 da, da, ba, ba, ba. The DeLorean, hooray, has just made it in Back to the Future. Now, what does has just made it mean? Great question. I was hoping you wouldn't ask it because... <laughs> you hear this three or four times in the movie. Yes. Which one did I pick? It, it doesn't really matter, but if you say the right one, I get 10 points. <laughs> I guess it's about to have just made it. This is like the final approach. Okay, things are on track. It's going to work in the climactic scene with the clock tower. Yes, that's right. It's right, right before it travels back to the future. That's exactly what I said. Doc is reaching to connect the cables at the last second, and a bolt of lightning is going to go through his hands and not kill him. He's Doc. Look at him. Okay, number 19. Hmm. Look at the list. I I am looking at the list. Oh, well, this has to be. Okay, this is Terminator 2. Correct. What would you have picked? I thought maybe you would actually recognize those three notes. Is this part of the climactic fight at the end in the factory, whatever? Um, Almost no, but close-ish. Close-ish. It's one of the very few times you actually hear the theme in the movie. Yeah, I was going to say, this is like part of the main theme. And yeah, when do you in the movie do you hear the theme? The truck? He's driving in a truck? No, all right. I'm going to give myself, uh, well, I don't know how, I didn't make up a rule for if you get the movie, but you don't get the scene. Seems like you should have. I think it might be a zero points, because the point is that you were supposed to get the scene. No, no, you get some, you get three, at all least. Right, I get three points. Three points for that. What is it? He's descending into the steel at the end. He's saying... Oh, well, that's what I was kind of... Yeah, I don't know if I can give it. You said during the fight, and it's definitely not during the fight. I say four points now. Okay, four points. Okay, up to 20. Aha, uh-huh. well, this is certainly A Clockwork Orange, and that is a little snippet of the Turkish march part of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, and obviously interpreted through Wendy Carlos's synthesizers, which is, I believe, what is being played to him during the Ludovico treatment. Uh, no, that's not correct. Second guess. I mean, I'm correct about what part of the piece it is. You are correct about what part of the piece it is. I don't think that that part of the piece does get played to him during the Ludovico treatment. I think it does. Uh, So then is this like when he's in the record shop? That's correct. When he's in the record shop. Okay. Second guess. Yeah. Five points. Okay. 21. Here we go. This is uh, definitely from Snow White. What song is that? With a smile and a song. Right? That's the name of that song? That's the name of the song. But what's happening when that's the underscore? This is all the little woodland critters cleaning up the cottage. No, no. Don't they do that with a smile and a song? No, that's whistle while you work. Uh, (laughs) How embarrassing. I picked this because I felt like picking an actual song would have been a little bit of a cheat, so I picked underscore. Well, I mean, it's something like that. It's something like where Snow White is being all prim and lovely. When is she not, John? Well, there are a few occasions in this movie. Yeah, when she's very frightened or when she's dead is another time when she... Although, honestly, she's very lovely, even 
in her coffin, as that prince will tell you. <laughs> All right, just tell me when, when specifically this is happening. She just sang the song in the glade in the wood, and now the creatures are leading her to a nice house that they think she might stay in. Of course, of course, of course, of course, because this is how she's soothing herself after she got scared in the woods. Okay, I'm, I'm giving myself four points for that. I, I agree, I agree. 22. Okay. This is definitely Conan the Barbarian. Uh, this is, I'm going to say, the first uh, raider raid at the beginning of the movie, riding horses, terrifying the villagers. Correct. Oh, great. Riders of Doom. Riders of Doom. 23. 23. This is the cold antiseptic interior of the empty spaceship in Alien. Yeah, well... This is one of those things where I get five points for that. Hmm. It's not exactly that part because I wasn't sure if I could get away with the main title because that is strictly part of the main title. So I picked another one. Oh, I see. That technically is like the tail end of the main title. Yeah. Uh, I think the same music plays again uh, later after John Hurt's funeral. Is that correct. It? Exactly correct. Should I get 10 points for that? Because once I explain You the... really should. Okay. Come on. You got that. Very good. I'm so proud of you about that one <laughs> i know you are always so proud of me yeah go on 24 all right that's the guy saying chicka cha cha as the fugitive runs across the bridge in in the heat of the night 10 point answer fantastic 25 home stretch now 25 that is let me hear that again uh that has to be from there will be blood correct and the specific moment, hmm. It's not a lot of information to go on specific moment-wise, I kind of feel. Oh. You think there is. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, again, I'm having regrets about my own choice-making. <laughs> I thought for sure you were going to give me, like, the cluster coalescing into the hills. Yeah, that might have been a better choice. I think in the back of my head as I was doing these, I was also thinking, like, what are moments that are so characteristic of these movies that even someone who hasn't been on this silly journey with us might immediately know what they were? I was trying to find kind of trademark sounds from each of these movies. Well, Except I really didn't do that for Spartacus, so that was a mistake. But this felt like more of a trademark sound. Well, there's the On Martino in there, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so... Kind of hard to place timbre, to be honest, when you cut it off sharply at the beginning of the end. Like, just the middle part of that sound wave, like, you wonder, is that a brass instrument? Yeah, I here was trying to grab the chord change, and maybe one second was too small for that. But I was very strict about the one second limit. All right. So that, yeah, that plays in the cue. Gosh, I guess I do remember a bunch of these movies. That plays, although this was a recent one. This is, I think, in the queue where he is giving the speech to the residents of Little Boston. That's correct. It's from Prospectors Arrive, which is like, it yeah. seems like the highlight queue for a lot of people. How much hemming and hawing did you do? Do I get five points or ten? I mean, at least eight. All right, you get eight points. Twenty-six. <laughs> This is the gypsy dance in the red violin. Ten points. Yeah. Twenty-seven. <laughs> what are the words? Edimus. Bibimus. Bibimus. Sanctimus. This is from The Omen. This was a real tough one for having you pick a moment. So I, yeah, I went I for the know. moment and kind of hoped you would just guess it. Uh, dog attack? No. But good guess, though, right? Come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. It's a good guess. I considered that. Uh, decapitation? That's correct. Second guess. Great. Five points. Yep. And last, number 28. All right, we're at the end of this. <laughs> you know, I, 
as I was just doing a little bit of cramming for this, I dipped my toe back into the score and I wondered if this was going to be the clip that you picked to try to stump me with. But <laughs> this was the friendly clip. This I'm is the sorry. friendly clip. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. This is the penguins in Scott of the Antarctic. That is correct. John, well done. Huh. You know what, Andy? I feel warm. Okay. Whew, my motor's, motor's running. Tallying up my score here. Well, you really actually giving the score? 10, 10, I didn't 10, know we're actually keeping 10, score. We didn't five, really keep 10. score the first time. I got, it looks like 231. Out of a possible 280? That seems pretty good to me. It's an 82 at B minus. Not bad. Not bad. Good show. Good going team. Yeah, uh, that's right. Team. So last time we did one of these episodes, we uh, sort of checked in on just how is doing this affected how you think about movie scores? And yeah. So I want to ask you, how, how is doing this, <laughs> since we got off the AFI list, how has doing it with this larger bucket list affected how you think about movie scores? Has it? I mean, how could it not? Yeah. I think for me, the shift from the season one of our show and into mm -hmm. season two, this many-year season that we're talking about here, when we started, the game was, here's a list, watch each of these movies, and then say whatever occurs to you to say about it. The game is a little different now that it's this open-ended thing that's kind of like, explore the world of movie scores. What do you think about the world of movie scores? And I've had a lot of occasions to wonder whether the kinds of things that occur to me to say on a podcast are as complete and balanced a take on what a movie score is and what it offers and what makes it worthwhile as it might seem in the moment because of the context and the format here. You know, it's a cliche to say that you can't really talk about music. Talking about music is like dancing about architecture, blah, blah, which is so stupid. It's such a stupid expression because you can easily imagine someone dancing about architecture. I'm sure there have been many ballets, you know, inspired by architectural work. So fine. Well, I also disagree with the premise that you can't talk about music. I think, boy... If we've shown anything, it's that you can talk about it. Well, I think that the quote, which I don't even remember this point, it was finally pinned to Elvis Costello or it isn't by Elvis Costello. I don't know. I don't remember. I mean, definitely one of those. The full version of that quote is, it's like dancing about architecture. It's a dumb thing to do. I don't think the point is that you can't do it. It's that it's so distorting that it ends up being misguided. Hmm. I don't endorse that. I don't agree with that. I think that lots can be said about music that is valuable. Yeah. And I have certainly benefited from hearing people talk about music because the talking focuses my attention on things or it offers different valuations of things that I get to sort of try on and consider. It can be clarifying and I, you know... I like talking and listening to people talk, so why not about music? Nonetheless, as we go through these, I do sometimes feel, after the fact, or, or while we're editing it, I feel like, oh, but this doesn't at all get at the unnameable thing that's like what I really get out of this or what it's really worth. Then I think, like, well, there's no way to say that thing. <laughs> as I went back getting these clips, I started thinking, like, oh, did we take the time to say that this is so, so cool? I think we might not have found a way to say that because it's not really an interesting sentence. But yeah, the problem of like, what even is this stuff? What are we, what are we? What even is this stuff? <laughs> the, <laughs> the unnameable thing, I guess. All right. I wanted to touch on the unnameable thing too. And the way that music is like an access port to the unnameable things in your head. 
you know, this is sort of a line of thought, a style of thought that it occurred to me for the recent episode we did about There Will Be Blood that I was very gratified that you seem to find valuable as well. This kind of cognitive philosophical take on like what is the music doing to your brain and what does that mean about what else you know is happening in your brain i think i said something like this music in there will be blood that was kind of about the phenomenon of signal versus noise just kind of teasing at the edges of what it means to perceive things at all i felt like it put me in this philosophically open headspace in which to appreciate the drama in a fruitful way. And I've been thinking a little bit more along those lines, just basically like, well, what is, what is music anyway? What is happening? Why is it anything? <laughs> Do you have an answer to that? I'll say what my roundabout hazy hand-wringing thoughts about it were. Yeah, I mean, I have roundabout hazy hand-wringing thoughts. Great. I mean, I try not to wring them too hard because that's just the way it is. I don't have to feel too distraught about it. It's the nature, you know, language is limited. Language is limited. Yeah. So I just wanted to call attention to the phenomenon of language being limited and how your brain is doing a lot of stuff that isn't covered by language. I mean, that's obviously true of, you know, things that you look at or smell. It's sort of a different dimension. It's a different coding language in your head. But even things that are sort of closer to language, and I guess you have to include music in that, there's still like extra linguistic things happening in your brain. Andy, do you ever have the experience of trying to remember something, like something that you were about to say and that you forgot what you're going to say? Or, you know, you walk into a room and you're like, what was I going to do in this room? And you're trying to, like, rack your brain to get your head back to the state it was in when it was thinking of a certain thing? No, I can't say I've ever forgotten anything. I always know exactly what I'm doing. Oh, interesting. No, I do identify with that, John. Yes, I'm very familiar with that. And when you're trying to, like, cast your mind back, I kind of found myself doing this the other day. And I thought, huh, there's a muscle I'm flexing here. There's a muscle where I have like a sense of what shape my brain was in when it was thinking about the thought that I want to reaccess. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I have this feeling like, oh, I just need to get my brain in this direction. Like if I just, you know, push this blob in here and then just the shape of where my thoughts go inside out a little bit, I have the sense of the thoughts were in this direction. They were in this formation. And if I get back to that formation, then I can get to that thought again. I mean, I absolutely know what you're talking about. You know, the brain is this incredibly complex machine for ordering things and perceiving relationships between things and fitting those relationships together. Language is just one way of doing that. But there are other shapes your brain makes. Yeah. Most of what it's doing, I dare say. Absolutely. And yeah, I think that is what music is able to do is it presents to your brain, here's a bunch of stimuli that you have to now perceive an order in and grok relationships out of. I think in so doing, it like puts your brain, it folds the origami of your brain into the proper format to think thoughts that, uh, I mean, we keep saying that have no name, that are just like... Oh, yeah, my brain was, mm, when I was thinking about that. 
music gets your brain to go, mm. So when music is really jiving with a movie and you feel the resonance of them, I think it must on some level be because the music has figured out what shape to put your brain into so that it feels the extra linguistic feelings of the story. Something. And when we had that conversation about There Will Be Blood, I remember saying to you, it is sort of odd that a, hey, let's watch movies and talk about the music show, we end up saying the word brain so often. We end up saying, well, I think like neurally what this, it's such a strange- Is it odd? It seems like a strange place for our conversations to end up. And I'm sure it seems pretentious to some people. I'm sure it does. I, how could it not? I mean, listen to us. But <laughs> for me, it, it, it's- I agree. It sounds pretentious, but I'm not pretending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is for real. Yeah. When people say pretentious, they're kind of doing you the favor of saying you couldn't possibly actually be like this. Right. You must be pretending that that's how you are. No, this is how I you am. You must think that this somehow reflects well on you, and so you're adopting this tone. No. No. I know it doesn't reflect well on me. But I can't stop. Yeah, that these guys end up talking this way. Us guys. Yeah. We're the guys. the guys I met. Yeah. There is something perverse or doomed about going to the aspect of a movie that is, in a way, the part most intended to transcend the script, mm. to transcend the fact that this thing was born as words on a page. How can we make it not sound like words on a page? How can we make it be some other thing that isn't words anymore? How can we make it not seem pretentious? <laughs> How can we make it not seem like it is just a bunch of made-up stuff? Well, we have to, if we inject the feelings that would have caused a person to create this language in the first place then it feels real. Yeah, what I'm saying is it's perverse for us to go to that and say, okay, here's the thing that exists in the movie exactly so that it doesn't have to be bound to the linguistic. Yeah. And then be like, we we can figure out what the words should have been. We, you should have just said this and this. No, of course we can't. So I have become more and more aware of the distorting nature of what we're doing here, which is not to say that I don't enjoy it or feel like we can do it, but... For me, it connects to the guilty feeling when people are like, talk about my favorite movie. We have talk about, uh, you know, Conan the Barbarian, for example, a movie that doesn't mean anything to me, but it means a lot to a lot of people. And I ended up saying that essentially on the episode. But you enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. And I even, all I could find to say was, I get it, which yeah. is so weak. That's, that's how I feel retrospectively, like saying, no, no, I get it, I hear it, is such a weak approach to the thing, to the power, to the being moved. That's the thing that matters to people. So I have, my reflection on season two is, boy, I've really been wrestling a lot with how can we make this format actually have to do with this stuff? And maybe you just can't. Maybe it's just like, that's not what conversations are for. With what stuff? I mean the stuff that music is and does. Okay, the stuff that music is and does. Well, I think these conversations have been trying to get at the stuff that music is and does. But when we're editing them, I'll often listen. And it'll be like, all right, we talked for an hour and a half about what the themes were and which scenes are better than other scenes and when the music is helping or not. And then like we each had one metaphor that like, oh, that actually reminds me of the music. That one thing we said. Thank God we said that one thing. It's hard. It's hard to get at anything that actually reminds you of the music. Hmm. Well, speaking of being reminded of the music, Andy. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. I think it is time to begin 
what I like to call the cliffs of insanity. <laughs> no, I, I, it's it's just a quiz. Um, the wheel of pain. Yeah, that's another possibility. Do we have any other? I'm Spartacus. That doesn't work. Oh, oh, I shouldn't have said the cliffs of insanity. I should have said the pit of despair. There you are. Welcome to the pit of despair. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The black hole at the center of the universe. Let's go. For those of you playing along at home, you want to keep score. I think it should be you get one point if you get the movie right, uh-huh. and you get 10 if you get the exact scene right. But since that sounds so low, and this is actually much more difficult, we should do by video game rules and make it be 10 points for the movie and 100 points for the scene. Or if you want, if you want a really high stakes game, 100 points for the movie <laughs> and 1,000 points. Wasn't it 100 points for getting it exactly right in the last quiz we did? Uh, It may have been. Yeah. And that way you can reserve the last two digits for how many quarters you spend. (laughs) A thing that I liked about that first quiz was that we weren't really keeping score, Andy. I don't want to... Because this time it's on me. I went back to listen to that. I was like, is this anything for the listener? And having forgotten most of the clips, I got to be a listener. I thought, oh, this is kind of fun. I want to play along. So this time I just thought, let's make it actually play alongable. So those are the rules. All right. All right, John. Okay. Relax. Take a deep breath. (gasps) I was imagining a slower one, but that one's fine, too. Take a sudden gasp (laughs) and... All right. Do you remember this? I think you threw me a bone in the last millisecond of this clip here. Preparing this definitely involved a lot of, should I let the bone in the last millisecond be there, decision making. And this, you kind of split the difference, right? You cut it off right as we were arriving on that chord. Oh, and what chord was it that we were arriving on? To my ears, it had a kind of powerfully momentum-driving relationship with the chord that came right before it which I think I'm going to use to pin this to Titanic. That is correct. I was definitely not sure until then, but now that I have Titanic in my head because of that chord change that we talked about, yeah, I can hear that this is some Horner action tension stuff. Those rhythmic flutes are an interesting texture. When did he use that in the movie? I'm going to say this is at some point while the ship is sinking. Yes. It sinks for a long time. Okay, still. That's right. We are past the iceberg strike here. I'll tell you what. You get 20 out of 100 points for saying it's while the ship is sinking. But can you add to that? It is obviously some moment of tense anticipation. And we're waiting for some sort of peril to resolve itself or not. Uh, I'm going to say it's when when the ship like finally turns fully vertical and they're on the outside of the railing on the stern of the ship? No, that's incorrect. All right. This is from the queue a Building Panic. A Building Panic? See, I said words that sounded who like... Who knows what it was supposed to align with when he uh-huh. wrote it. But the place that is used in the movie is Jack is handcuffed to a pipe with no hope of escape. Uh-huh. And... James Cameron wants you to know that Rose is such a determined, powerful, independent role model that she says, I'm through being polite, damn it, and makes the elevator boy I'm through being polite, god damn it! Now take me down! Yeah, it sounds just like what it is now that I'm hearing it. She's going to save him. She's going to get an axe. I don't doubt it. 
All right. All right, let's move on. Number two. Number two. done to me this was a score that was pretty hard to disguise but i thought it could at least be confused with one other score here so if you if you get it then tell me which one i thought you might be fooled by but if you don't get it then (laughs) (laughs) is this from the omen that is the sand trap you got me all right but i feel good about that because that was the only trap i could find in the score that this is really from it's not that, it's not that, it's not that, it's not that. Now what's up with this little dissonance? What does that mean? Is this is this Rocky? That's it, it's Rocky. Wow. That little dissonance means, eh, it's Bill Conti just, you know, playing the piano like people play the piano. Uh, here's some nice little notes for he's you. He's just noodling around on the piano. All right, so this is one of the sad early cues in Rocky when he's just kind of schlumping around Philadelphia. He's, you know, aw shucks, kicking at the ground with his shoes, like, uh, he just walked that girl home, something like that. That's not it. This is the cue alone in the ring. All right. Rocky is in the ring, feeling all alone on the night before the big fight, and the poster is wrong because he's wearing white pants with a red stripe, not red pants with a white stripe. Right, which was a genuine mistake by the filmmakers that he ad-libbed into the character. Yeah, and it's good. Sure. All right, number three. Well, this one, I dare say, is very hard. (laughs) Thank you for daring. It's very hard, Andy. All right, so I think this is one of the older entries on this list. Mm-hmm. Don't you find that it kind of enlivens your appreciation for the sound and all of it the, does all of the choices made when you have no idea what it is and have to glean anything you can from any detail? Like I said before, I kind of have to reverse engineer why would these instruments do this to do what to me? Yeah. So this is obviously some sort of a struggle, something difficult something arduous going on here's my note on that yeah maybe it's not going on yet but it's implicit it's impending yeah 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 impending there's definitely impending there's impending in this q2 why is that because of something it's doing in my brain because the repetition and then the repetition changes a little mm-hmm. it lands on a different inversion of the chord towards the end there i notice yeah Here's a hint. I'll take it. It's not much of a hint. I wish it were. Because you don't remember this, but it corresponds to something visually that you might well describe pretty accurately by describing the music that way. All right, I keep wanting to say Spartacus. Yes, well, you want to get at least 10 points. I really do. I want those points. Yeah, this seems like, you know, closer to golden age classic Hollywood scoring than many of the entries on this list of things that we're going through. 
this seems like it is a very dense and colorful orchestra. Yeah, it's kind of a classic Golden Age sound, but with an angular and more modern edge to it. Yeah, okay, so this is some kind of like anticipation to a gladiator fight. Uh, that's not correct, but keep going. Uh, hmm. Something is repeating, but then maybe getting a little different. Uh, Nothing is repeating, okay. but there's some geometrical arranging going on. Does it have to do with the crucifixion? No. All right, the answer? Yeah, tell me. This is the cue called Formations. The big battle is about to begin. Okay. But first, the Roman army is going to do yeah. like a halftime show, and the phalanxes and things <laughs> are going to shift around on the field to intimidate the slave army. Yeah. What centurion gets to dot the I, I wonder? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, now I hear it. Yeah. Because uh, this speaks a language, but the language it speaks isn't language, right? So, you know, the sense of martial rank and file, once you say it, of course. It, that's what it sounds like. I recognize that that's what my brain was wrapping itself around. Okay. Okay. What are we up to? Four. Four. just like putting it next to that one because they sounded kind of like that's interesting you know cousins that is an interesting comparison well this is north by northwest that's correct and i believe it's the end of north by northwest mm. this is the final struggle for Cary grant to reach and grab Eva marie saint's hand as they're struggling on the cliff face of mount rushmore and it's about to cut to them in their bridal suite on the train uh you should click that back 15 seconds arrow on your player Go back like one story beat behind that. This is actually when Cary Grant is struggling with the second henchman who's not Martin Landau and throws him to his doom. Okay, 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 okay. And then looks up and sees Martin Landau kind of shoving Eva Marie Saint off and she slides down. And at that big court at the end there is when he looks down and sees her hanging by her fingertips. All right. You were basically dead on. You get full credit. I'm just no, saying. No, I don't. I don't need full credit. I got 85 points or something out of 100. Okay, that's, that sounds good. 85. All right. Let's go on to number five. All right. Well, I think already I know the movie. Mm-hmm. It's got to be. This is a very evocative texture for sure. Boy, there are some interesting, unusual flutes in there. Mm -hmm. And there's certainly some other synth pads, but it's a very lively texture. This is from American Beauty. I'm sure of that. Correct. So this is some moment of, you know, quiet stillness. Mm -hmm. How's that quiet stillness making you feel? Like a lot of the quiet stillness in this movie, there's a certain tension. There's a certain weight of... This isn't just real normal life. It's the seamy underbelly of normalcy. It is, yeah. There's something a little off going on. You know, this doesn't have a lot of the rhythmic elements that are throughout a lot of the score. So that suggests to me that it is accompanying something we're supposed to be listening to, like dialogue, for example. Is this like some unseemly dialogue where Kevin Spacey is flirting with Mina Suvari? Something like that? 
No, it's not that, but you're right that it's under conversation. But who's conversing? Yeah, I'm not sure who's conversing. Who would converse with this kind of pregnancy in the air? I mean, the kids, maybe? Wes Bentley and uh, Thora Birch? That is correct. This is, you get full credit. I don't think I can remember what they're talking about. They're naked, and she has turned the camera on him. Ah, oh, they're naked. I should have been able to hear that they're naked. Yes, yes, yes. So tell me about being in the it's hospital. It's the beginning of the scene where it seems like this is the evidence that they were the killers. They videotape each other. When I was other 15, my dad caught me smoking dope. She says, would you kill my father totally for me? Okay, okay. To send me to military All right. School. That's a very different way of shaping my brain than the previous couple, isn't it? I think you'll see here that in looking for not immediately identifiable cues, there ended up being a kind of a theme of murky unease moments because those are the ones uh-huh, when these uh-huh. scores come the closest to resembling each other. And yet, even in the kind of haze of murky unease, you can hear so much personality. And yeah, isn't it interesting that Thomas Newman, just in kind of a hovering chord, A pad, as you often say. I think many people say. You're the person in my life who says it. (laughs) There's so much character. The flavor of just that hoveringness is so full and complete. Yeah, I really enjoyed just sort of zooming my ears into these things. And I did remember on, I think it was last year's Oscars show, I somewhat cynically said all of these kind of ominous drone scores function the same to me and yes you can tell them apart but they end up adding kind of the same thing to the movie and i'm not taking that back because there's definitely a sense of having limited horizons when that's the main thing you provide to a movie but i did appreciate that a lot can go on even within stillness and maybe Hmm. i don't know just signaling that now because we got, I don't know how many more of these to listen to. There's going to be a bunch of them that are like, all right, this is some stillness from, oh, a different world that has different things in it. Who couldn't use a bunch of stillness? And a couple of things that are very unstill. You'll see. Number six. Next. All right. I was initially pretty confident in what movie it was, but then I got a little uncertain. Mm-hmm. Right here, I was pretty sure it's the man with the golden arm. Mm-hmm. Is it? Tell me the rest of your story about what happened to that. But then I started to think the second half, maybe is this like a, a moment of stillness from In the Heat of the Night instead? Different approaches to kind of a jazz score. It's possible, John, that a bone is thrown you at the end of this. Ooh. There? Bum, bum. This was a bone throw or no bone throw question, and I went for bone throw. So make the most of it. Hmm. Yeah, gosh, I'm not uh, picking up a lot of meat off that bone. There is a movie on this list that, despite how you think about this movie, does in fact have... Something like that as an important motif in it. All right. So this definitely has some jazz harmonies in it. Mm-hmm. So it's not Interstellar. It's not the, it could be The Man with the Golden Arm. could be Bullet. It could be Touch of Evil. Ooh, is it Touch of Evil? 
Yes, it is. All right, all right. Okay, 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 okay. Ah. Oh, yeah. So is the bone that he threw me at the end there that Orson Welles shows up? He doesn't, but there's sort of an oblique reference to him. And isn't that kind of his theme in that? It's like, da na na Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right, right. This is the only moment in the movie that sounds like this, but eh, who remembers? This is the cue called Pigeon Caged. Mrs. Vargas, Janet Lee, has been drugged and pretty implausibly framed for murder uh-huh. and is now in a jail cell and Charlton Heston has rushed to her side. Articles of clothing, half-smoked reefers, needle marks. Something else could produce the same effects. Demerol, for instance, or sodium pentothal. You could smell this stuff on her. This whole setup stinks. It's the sad scene in the jail cell that has kind of tender music. Sad scene in the jail cell with the kind of tender music. That, right, I think we both said, like, didn't quite fit, which is why you chose it for this quiz. (laughs) It's the only part of Touch of Evil that was tricky. Had to go there. Had to. Had to. All right, now we have to go here. Mm -hmm. All right, well. Nice, 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 nice. This is In the Heat of the Night. That's correct. And you can tell, among other things, because it's got that flute in it where the guy is like, talking into the flute as he's playing it. Mm-hmm. I tried to pick a part where he was being mellow enough about that he wasn't really to the fore, so you might feel like, oh, is that bullet? But there's pretty much no disguising it. And then, what a tasty revelation chord. Uh, this is tough, Andy. Yeah. It's, uh, well, I think it's in the night. I think this takes place in the night. It does not. Okay. Full daylight. Full daylight. What that I often refer to full daylight as the heat. That's the heat of the night. Oh, I see. That's a very poetic way to refer to midday. Yeah, poetic. You have to like sort of jangle the words around in your head to like get at a different thought. In your yeah, head. it's from Shakespeare, I think. Yeah, that's right. All right, what's happening in the day? This is the cue, blood and roots. Tibbs is searching the victim's car. All right. On the brake pedal, he finds a piece of osmunda. Oh, yeah. What? You know, osmunda, fern root. He just knows about that. You know, that they pot orchids in. And then there's a the turnaround on the winds there. Is they pull focus to it in an extreme close-up. He's an urbane man of the world and a master detective. Why wouldn't he know that? He is. And this is definitely an essential clue in a very clever plot <laughs> to which this is a very important revelation. <laughs> I sense a little bit of... Little sarcasm there. A little bit, yes. It's the most clue discovering scene. Well, in it the sure movie. sounds like clue discovering. It is very clue discovering. Gotta give it to Quincy for that. Unfortunately, it's not a clue that has anything to do with how the crime was actually committed, but that's okay. Not Quincy Jones's fault. Not Quincy's fault. That's right. Number eight. Well, I'm telling myself a little story about what you're doing here. Were you hoping that I would think that that is that an oboe is playing like a kind of a snake charmerish sort of line that might make me think of Conan the Barbarian? But this is clearly not Conan the Barbarian because, among other things, at the end there's a jazz upright bass that goes boom 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 boom. And what is it? 
So therefore, now with other things of this ilk eliminated, this must be bullet. That's correct. The thinking here was, now that we've gotten other things of this ilk eliminated, (laughs) I can't think of anything that could be challenging about this, so let's just give it away right now. (laughs) This was giving it away, you say. All right. I couldn't find two seconds of bullet that were worth listening to and weren't immediately, obviously, like a cool jazzy score. So here you go. This sort of disguises it for some of the clip. Yeah, some of the clip. I think it's an English horn. What do you think is doing the blah, 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 blah? I mean, it's sort of acting like a harp, but I don't think it's quite a harp. Is it just a guitar tremolo? Yeah, I don't know. It sounds like the thing they do on a harp, the, blah, 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 you know, bisbigliando. Yes, exactly. Exactly. We both said bisbigliando at the same time. I've been waiting to get to say bisbigliando on this show. Yes, I think it's correctly bisbigliando, but we've both gotten our chance to say it now. I've been waiting to say bisbigliando. I mean, there's not too many choices. This is uh, this is some sort of sound of silence and anticipation. No real anticipation here. Nothing really going. I don't remember an oboe from this movie. I really don't. I think it might be an English horn, though. So. Oh, the English horn. Of course I remember when there was an English horn. <laughs> the famous English horn part <laughs> from Bullet. Just tell me what it is in Bullet. He's in the hospital. Is this hospital? He wants some breakfast. The track is called Just Coffee. Just Coffee. Because this is the scene. This is the scene. <laughs> think back. When Bullet, uh-huh. Frank, Bullet, Frank Bullet, is getting ready in the morning yeah, what does he have? with his girlfriend that he clearly doesn't like very much and certainly doesn't like talking to. No, who would? And she asks him, do you want breakfast? No. And that's when he says the classic line, "Yeah, just coffee. The classic English horn line. This clip is from the part when Bullet drinks the coffee. Well... And I assume that the mood that it casts has to do with his emotionally ungrounded existence and how he can't really make a proper human connection here. And there's something wrong. His cool is keeping him from the romance that's right in front of him. His head is somewhere else. What's wrong with Bullet? I don't know. He's cool, but what's he's missing something. Hmm. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, now that you say it, of course it does. Here's the thought process that I started when I heard this clip. I didn't remember this scene. I didn't remember this clip. And I remember we spent most of the episode talking about whether the cool of the movie was interesting enough to make it an interesting movie. You basically said you didn't think it was. I noticed that Bisbilliando-like effect. (laughs) And thought, well, that sounds really nice. I like how that sounds. I like how it makes me feel. I think just an honest response to art, to movies, to music, is sometimes that little things, little details, little superficial things sometimes, things that could be called superficial, just matter more than the big ones in how I feel about them. But boy, that's a hard thing to stand up for in a conversation. (laughs) It's really hard to come to the microphone and be like, I don't know about this movie or anything, but do you hear that kind of like noise? Yeah, that makes it for me. That's it. That's the only thing I care about. Something about the attitude that I bring to these isolated clips, I feel like it kind of sums up what's the hardest to bring to the table in a, like, we're going to have a conversation. We're going to analyze this score. We're going to evaluate whether we think it's working or not. Sometimes the way that art matters to me is in a way that's out of any proportion. I can't defend it as proportionate. 
what do I do with the fact that uh, I really do like how that sounds? I think that sounds really good. <laughs> I want to encourage you to bring that to the mic. Yeah, and I do. I have been trying to. I always have been trying to. But I know when I was a kid, the things that meant the most to me, I look back on what they meant to me. They meant such idiosyncratic, mm -hmm. bizarre things. They meant wrong things to me. Like they were profoundly misinterpretations of the works because of what was uh, going on in my kid brain at the moment I watched them or whatever, associations I developed that can't really be defended or communicated. And again, going back to Conan the Barbarian, it feels on the one hand, like, what are you even talking about to go out there and say like, oh, with all the stupid stuff that John Milius was saying on the commentary track, which comes from a place that it probably is correctly articulated as, it's like, that's, you're not really saying anything. On the other hand, it also feels wrong to say, look how this movie is dumb. Wait, that's dumb and that's dumb. That's also missing the point. I feel like the point is actually very elusive. I guess that's the way of saying what I'm saying here. And maybe the point is just this little guitar tremolo the whole time. I'm not saying that this moment from Bullet meant something to me when we watched Bullet. I didn't remember it. But if you ask me to like let my eyes go unfocused and just fill myself with the sound of that clip, I can get lost in it. I can. There's a lot there. Hmm. But you can get lost in such simple things. Appreciation and criticism, appreciation and analysis, we're always looking for ways to make them kind of be at least adjacent. But sometimes I perceive them as so opposed that I, I feel... Um, well, what you're willing and readily able to get lost in depends so much on what headspace you're bringing to your experience with the piece of art which again comes back to why it's music's job to put guide rails on what your head is receptive to. Yeah, the agonizing that I'm doing here is how do I keep that way of being in play, even though, yeah, we're gonna have a conversation, we're gonna have a whole, it's gonna have examples, we're gonna talk about the music theory and all of that. How do I also keep in play the part of me that's just like a, you know, some kind of mute animal that's buffeted around by all of these musical impacts? Wow. I don't know. I mean, I really kind of feel like that describes me right now. I'm a mute animal being buffeted by all All music. right, all right. Well, <laughs> if you don't have anything to say, you know what we could do. More of these clips. Okay. I feel like I have plenty to say. And maybe I'll pepper it along as we listen to these all clips. Right. Are we up to number nine? I I'm ready for the pepper. Yeah, but first, listen to clip number nine. What's happening now? Okay. <laughs> All right. So there are two scores on this list that were written by composers who were heavily influenced, fair to say, I think, by Aaron Copland. And I think this is one of them because this sounds pretty Copelandy, right? Yeah, sure. I think there's some stacked fifths and things in there. Yeah, some pan-diatonicism, some... Sure. Some open sounds, certainly. Open and simple, but like leaning into the goodness and nobility of simplicity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I was trying to think, well, there's, there's got to be either 
the best years of our lives, which I was pretty sure it was for much of its runtime. Mm-hmm, but then what happened? But then uh, something, some external insidious desire sort of started to crawl in. Oh yeah, what is that? Something kind of ate away at all of this fresh. Everything is so healthy and fresh. And then something very unhealthy started to undercut it. Just slightly. Just one little worm. And so then the other composer on this list who definitely had a lot of Copeland in what he wrote was Elmer Bernstein. Mm. And so I think that this is the man with the golden arm. It is. And I think you picked a particularly unjazzy bit of the man with the golden arm. I'm going to say that this is like the clean Sunday morning when he thinks he's kicked it and then uh uh-oh he wants to get some H again. John that is so correct that you actually said the name of the cue Sunday morning. That's why I think I said it because I remember that that was the Sunday morning feeling of everything is clean and bright and we're gonna greet the day bright-eyed and bushy-tailed but uh uh-oh we're not. He's been playing poker all night but now he's out in the world things seem to be going the right way. Good morning Banky. All right. Good job, everybody. Very, very well done. And yes, it was an obvious trap there, but you didn't fall into that. You know better. I so easily could have. But you didn't. All right, number 10. Let's get to the end of this little decade. Yeah. Okay, well, there's a hmm, ha, hmm. You found something that could be a lot of different things, didn't you? I'd be interested to hear which things it could be, because as a person who knows what it is, I can't always guess the wrong guesses. Tell me what things it could be. I'm interested. All right. Some of the things that I'm considering whether it is include Interstellar, but also perhaps The Omen. Because of that very floaty high string line, and the little accompaniment figure that's kind of pulsing in and out of alignment with it. Those sound to me like things that happened in the interstellar, according to my memory, and that are the sort of things you would have looked for that didn't sound like the rest of the stuff happening in interstellar, am I right? That is correct. It's from interstellar. Okay, great. Tell me I'm wrong because I am distorted by knowing it, but to me... The recording quality and sort of the yeah, that's true. actual timbral effect of the strings does not sound like the omen or you're totally right or any normal strings. He's colored it somehow. That thing he said about how he wanted to try to make the acoustic instrument sound like synths. I feel like it's in effect there. There's some doublings going on. Yeah, you're absolutely right. He was really willing to move that dial between yeah. real instruments and synth to any position along its track. My synesthetic response to this is that it's much shinier yeah. than the omen would ever be. You're definitely right. I mean, I was just trying to imagine who could have written this. Like, I think Goldsmith could have written those notes. He could have written those notes moving around, yeah. but it wouldn't have been so glossy. Agreed, agreed. Once I know, I know, yeah. as everybody says. All right, so what is it in Interstellar? Yeah. Ah, boy, it really could be anywhere because he didn't really 
attach things very specifically to specific moments in this movie. Like the score was pretty clearly meant to be evoking the Ouroboros of time and space and reality the whole time. Mm-hmm. Not really tied to specific things as tightly. But again, this is a moment of stillness. Mm-hmm. It suggests that there's something disquieting in the offing, but it's off quite a way. That's what I'm getting from it. Like, we're going to get to something that is unsettling, but we're a ways away from it yet. Well, a ways away is kind of the whole essence of the movie. So that's Mm. not a good description of what's happening here, but you (laughs) might be able to kind of squeeze it through a Klein bottle in your head until it is that. After it goes through the fifth dimension, it might be that. Amelia, your father solved his equation before I even left. This is the kind of dark revelation scene when Matt Damon has woken up and tells them the bad news that there was never an other plan. They're the only hope. You and need to see into a black hole. The, weight of this. the laws hmm. of nature prohibit a naked singularity. Romney, is that true? Well, interesting that that's what I said about it in that case, because this is actually quite a lot closer to the unsettling thing. But, but it's something about the way it's the Christopher Nolan way. Bearing the real weight of a thing has the sound of some faraway impact. Right. And it is suggesting that you're not quite up to assimilating all of this yet. Like the full import of this is kind of... Yeah, I think Anne Hathaway is kind of crying during this scene. And it's that sound of like, no, 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 it can't be true. Yeah. Then why wouldn't he use it? The equation couldn't reconcile relativity. The full weight of this revelation is still floating above you. There's a sword of Damocles feeling. And, you know, speaking of having the feeling that something is going to befall you, I was so sure that the cue you were going to pick that was going to try to trip me up was the, like, spacey, echoey solo piano that sounds almost Schubert-y mm-hmm. that plays when they are approaching Saturn in the spaceship. Mm-hmm. Because that doesn't sound like anything else in the movie. You know, it doesn't sound pipe organy or doesn't sound really zimmery much necessarily. And I thought that was how you're going to try that. Understandable, but we gave enough of a spotlight to that moment in the episode that I thought, yeah. John, that. Yeah, yeah. I need to find something that we didn't we didn't talk about. At this point, I'll also admit that one of the counter games that I had uh-huh. considered and mostly abandoned mm-hmm. was that. <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna go through and pull clips of you talking and say, Andy, <laughs> what made you say this? <laughs> Did you pull the clip? No, I didn't pull the clips because it, it would have been frankly a lot of work to do. Oh, would it? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, John, if you ever want to pull a stunt like that, I'm game for it. Okay, I'm glad to. That is information that I wasn't certain of whether you would be game for that. But I must say, I care more about the scores than I do about the show. Of course. I of might course not remember things do. from the show, and I might not mind that I don't remember them. Well, but like when it first occurred to me, when did Andy make this noise? <laughs> that the first thing that occurred to me was in the Interstellar episode when you said this. It's like. <laughs> Oh, I would have known immediately because that is an yes. excellent impression of a Hans Zimmer, Christopher Nolan movie. I know. I know you would have gotten that immediately. And then I was like going to have to figure out things that... There's noises I've made and I have to identify them. That's funny. Okay. Okay. I say let's keep going. Let's keep going. Number 11.
Okay, I'm pretty sure that this is alien. It is. It is. Okay. Well done. Thank you. Honestly, the most alien sounding part is right at the beginning here because it kind of sounds like... like the harmony. It sounds like the harmony from Alien. It also sounds like a little bit like that Star Trek mode we were talking about. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. It sounds like Jerry Goldsmith in space. Yeah. Jerry Goldsmith in space. Yes. But now that you know what it is, can you identify the scene? Hmm. A constraint here was it had to actually be in the movie. <laughs> okay. Fair there were lots of tricky things I could have picked from the soundtrack. Yes. That Goldsmith composed that weren't used in the final version of Alien. But this is in the movie. Ooh, those little piano blats off the beat. Which you can only just barely hear in the mix from the movie. I'm sure. I loved pulling this clip and spending some time with it because this is such a perfect example for me of how the relationship I have to all those sounds in isolation like this is so different and new and fresh and satisfying mm-hmm, to me mm-hmm. in a way that I didn't have at all when we were going through the score, which I listened to many times. I got to know all different parts of it. I looked at the notes on the page as this went by. I had paid attention to these bars before. Right, right, me too. But they have all these values that I just had made nothing of, and they're really good. I really like these bars. Yeah, it is really good. Uh, this isn't part of the landing sequence. Now, why would you say that? This is part of the landing sequence, as I was saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I should have started there because that's the locus of the sort of the most Star Trek sounding stuff in it, I think. Right, that actually stayed in the movie. Yeah. Okay, so this is the ship landing on the alien planet. It's not quite. Okay, what is it? This is the landing craft is being extended out on some kind of extending arm away from the main ship as it's about to detach. Hmm. Sigourney's about to say umbilicus clear, which is a very strange alien thing to say. Basically, this is a whole special effect sequence that they drop the ship down. And when you're watching the movie, you just are like, oh, man, they're going to go down there. And it all kind of seems inessential, but there's actually a lot of beautiful stuff happening. It's true. I mean, it gives a sense of the stakes getting raised, like they're really committing to this venture, and you can kind of hear the ratcheting up and up of like, oh, now they really made it this far. Oh, wow, they're actually doing this. We're reaching this level of anxiety about it. And also, it's just an endlessly eerie world in which every action of everything, this machine extending its arm out is uneasy it's awe-inspiring and disturbing and all of that stuff it's just implicit in every shot yeah only in isolating that clip did i think oh this is kind of a bernard herman kind of approach just two notes over and over but they're Mm -hmm. insistent two notes and then oh they start to change a little bit i mean it gets at some kind of fundamental brain process like why is this order coming and coming I have to impose some interpretation on this. You know, I get to that interpretation before I get to what I want to say about it in my head. Yeah, yeah. Saying something about it is really hard yeah. to do well, but feeling it, ooh, Feeling it. I feel it, man. I feel it right away. It's very strong. You feel it. And you know what, Andy? This is an eye-opening experience. Getting to come at it, like, in reverse, backwards through the back door and have to think, like, well, what am I feeling Okay, when would I have been asked to feel that way? Yes, yes, exactly. Because you're picking music that is hard to recognize on its face as music. Right, but then you think, I have a memory of that feeling. I remember when I was in outer space. Right. And it was not a good outer space. And then I have to cast my mind back. When did I have this thought before? It was when my brain was... Yeah. 
All right. Number 12. Number 12. Here comes a really hard one, but I don't put it past you to get this, John. So let's see if you can. I appreciate you saying ahead of time that it was hard. Good luck. Okay. Piano, string pad, pizzicato. Ooh, sliding strings. Snare drum. Okay, well, there are some things that this could not be. There's a little playfulness in this. I think it's more playful than the Omen ever gets, but it's playful in a different way than Young Frankenstein gets. Doesn't have the instrumental palette of The Incredibles, which has a certain sense of play in common with it, but I don't think it could have been written by Giacchino. Why not? Say more about why not. Why couldn't this have been written by Giacchino? Well, how about right here? Yeah, Giacchino wouldn't voice those chords that way. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's somebody who would voice chords that way. Mm. We talked about somebody who voices chords maybe with a little bit of unorthodoxy in his voicings. All right. I'm going to say this is Batman. That's correct. See, I am totally wrong about which ones are easy and which ones are hard. You got that dead on. Hey, this is hard. This is still... doesn't make it not hard because I got it. That's true. I'm sorry, John. I didn't mean to imply that you can only do easy things. Obviously, some of the things you do are very hard, like that. You just did something very hard Thank and you. very well. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. What right, scene so, in Batman is that? Gosh, what scene in Batman? I can tell you the Q title, which exactly describes the action, and you probably still won't know what scene it is. Let's try that. The Q title is Vicky Gets a Gift. Oh, okay. Vicky Gets a Gift. Well, I mean, is that... When they're at the restaurant and it's like... It is. It is. Oh. No, okay, okay. Not. If I heard that title, I would have thought it's when she like gets flowers later or something. I would have pictured the scenes in her apartment, but you pictured the right scene. Okay, so this is like the... Yeah, I mean, obviously it sounds like build-up premonition to maybe some comic book stuff is going to go down now. And this is when the Joker is taking Vicky to the fancy restaurant and then a bunch of bad guys are about to break in or something. Well, you may not remember exactly how the scene goes down. The I Joker totally is didn't. not here yet. She's at the museum like cafe yeah 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 and museum waiting. museum and then the waiter brings her a little box and he says for you madam right miss vale this just arrived for you and she opens it up and it's a gas mask and there's a scrawled card that says put this on right now and the joker is about to yeah. gas everyone in the restaurant and arrive like i said some comic book villainy is about to happen it sure is about to happen okay what else is about to happen uh <laughs> looking at <laughs> this is gonna have one exciting moment in the middle i can see from the waveform let's see what it is Yeah, well, this is how Giacchino would voice those chords. Hmm. I think that sounds right. Especially those two. Yeah, this is a much more fully integrated, cohesive orchestra. Sure, it's a little slicker. It's definitely slicker. You know, it's got little hits of flutes and bongos. So this is The Incredibles. Obviously, it is a 
relatively quiet moment, but it's a quiet moment of tension. I'm going to say that this is part of the sequence where Elastigirl is breaking into the evil lair on the island. It's not. I looked at that sequence, though, but I thought this one was, I don't know, a little bit more mysterious. This is actually a, a scene of more genuine drama. Huh. All right. Well, give me a hint. What are the two big hits in the middle correspond to? The two big hits correspond to a desperate action, and then the tension resulting from that desperate action plays out over the rest of the scene. Hmm. All right, tell me. This is the cue called a confirmed hit. We have a confirmed hit. It is when Mr. Target. Incredible is shackled up doing? in Syndrome's uh, lair, and Syndrome... It. Taunts him by saying that his wife's plane has just gotten hit alone. with a missile, and mm. and he gets so furious that he grabs uh, what's her name, Mirage, and threatens mm. to kill her. Release me! And then Syndrome says, no! "Oh, I dare you! You don't have it in you." So those two hits are when he grabs her. Okay. Again, there is a lovely, lush, cared-for sense of. Hovering. I love all the little log drums and things. Yeah. The string tremolos and things. It does feel a little more, I don't know, thin isn't the right word, but it feels feels more like a cartoon to me. It feels a little more like a surface of stylish elements than, yeah, the Batman one. I put these, this is another one where I put them consecutively because I felt like once that Batman one is done, I don't have anything else you might even conceivably think is the Incredibles, so I might as well just play the Incredibles clip. But the Batman orchestration, which, as you say, is, is voiced a little bit funnier. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like an impression of anything. It feels like the zany comic book itself. Whereas the Incredibles, even in this little clip, to me it sounds a little like it's doing an old hmm. favorite. Even those two big hits, which, as you say, are yeah. solid, but they feel like they're from some other movie prior to this. Well, they are. Yeah, they are. That's what Chikino is good at, among other things. That's the point. That's the point. All right, we're up to 14. Let's get through half of it, and then maybe we'll take a little break. Okay, 14. Good luck. This has to be There Will Be Blood, right? Mm. Uh, you really wanted me to think it was There Will Be Blood. Mm -hmm. This is one that I thought <laughs> can't have played There Will Be Blood before this or it won't be in the running. Golly, what could pass for There Will Be Blood among what's left? Well, the clue in here that was supposed to dissuade you mm. is in the middle of the clip. After that sharp shock, there's some stuff in the texture I don't think is ever in There Will Be Blood. Yeah. It's just a string orchestra. There will be blood. I don't think there's any brass or wings. Right. All right. Well, the only thing left on this list that could house such a thing, I think, has to be the omen. Mm -hmm. And where do you think it's housed? How does it make you feel? Where in the movie would you put that feeling? Well, that's a good question because that movie, I felt like, had a little confusion about where it <laughs> wanted me to feel what. But this is definitely after... 
a bunch of bad stuff has been revealed. It has been definitely, it's out of the bag that yeah. horror is happening. This amount of uneasiness is not yeah. like an introduction to uneasiness. No, no, this no, no. Is, no. This, this is, is late in the nightmare. This is definitely late in the movie. Absolutely. So something really creepy is happening. Oh, you know, some sort of uh, hellhounds are stalking. No, John, I think about the title. Think about the title. The Omen? Mm-hmm. As we talked about, what does that? That doesn't really mean anything. If it means anything, what is it? If it mean? means anything, it means the birthmark with the three sixes, right? So, hmm, this is a time when we see that? Yes. Okay. This is the Q666. Gregory Peck is carefully snipping away hair on his sleeping son's head. Oh, uh, right, 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 right. See right, right. if it's true that the sign of the beast is written on his skin. Wow. Yeah, I guess if you were going to write something for Sign of a Beast, it's got to sound like that. Right, and I didn't throw you a bone at the end of this. I could have Thank left you. in the moment, which has this. It's surprising in a way that only would be in the omen. Okay. Okay. Well, that's half of them. That's half of them. How's it going, John? You doing all right? I'm having fun. I think I'm doing all right. I mean, how am I doing in the quiz? I don't know. Maybe not so great. You're doing very well on identifying the movies. Yeah. And... Honestly, identifying the scenes is almost impossible. So I think you're doing great. I really appreciate hearing you say that. I was going to posit that identifying the scenes is almost impossible, Andy. But now if the listeners are playing along, if they are identifying all of the scenes and they just know all of this stuff, that's crazy. But um, it's crazy for them. Congratulations. If that is the case... We're going to have to insist that you write in and identify yourself so that we can send you the grand prize. The grand prize, all right? (laughs) If it goes to anyone, it will go to you. I'm not getting the grand prize here. That does bring up another of the couple of musings I wanted to muse on this show. All right. The spirit of this undertaking when we undertook it was just like we like talking about this stuff. And podcasts are where you listen to people who like talking about things, talk about those things, so we could be those people that's listen to ourselves talk about whatever. So let's just do this. And now that we are years into it and have an audience that we interact with, and as you have pointed out recently, the shows have gotten longer and more elaborate, it definitely comes to roost in my head more often now that we don't know. We don't know about this stuff. I mean, we like it. We're interested in it. But, boy, there are people out there who know a lot more of it and a lot more about what they know about than we do. I hope that that is clear in the framing, that we're here because we think it's cool, not because we are the authorities. Yeah, I have met and talked to people who have vastly more encyclopedic knowledge of this literature than we. This is still very much a like meet the literature show for me. I don't know this stuff until it's time to know it. So, yeah, failing at a quiz like this is very much on brand, at least for me, <laughs> when you do a quiz for me. I'll do a quiz for you. You know what? I really owe you one. And I, another thing I thought was that, you know, we agreed ahead of time that this quiz was not going to include any of the Oscar movies that we talked about. Yes. Maybe, uh, maybe I'll put together an Oscars quiz for you to look back specifically. Ooh, that would be extra hard because even than these... The Oscars shows, I have thought about less because (laughs) it's been years since I thought about them. And I only thought about them very briefly because we throw those shows together as quickly as possible. Yeah, so maybe I'll think about doing that. Yeah, if you play me a tertiary cue from The Shape of Water, you might really (laughs) stump me, John. So go for it. All right. Well, maybe there's something like that in the future. But yes, to what you were just saying, I definitely want to uphold the idea that the foundational principle here is that we're, we're just these guys. We're just these two guys. 
you know, like we think about this stuff perhaps more than average and we talk about it. We're just these guys talking about it. Yeah, that's exactly the distinction. We are here claiming to think about this more than most people. We are not claiming to know about this more than most people. I mean, all this stuff that we go on these shows and say that we know, like, is stuff that we learned the previous week or two, so... Yeah, this is just riffing plus Google. Well, riffing plus Google is, uh... I bet a lot of the world turns on riffing plus Google. I think it does these days. All right, let's dive back in. We have a, a whole bunch more to get through. It theoretically should be the easier half, this back half now, because I will have less options open to me. But I bet you found a way to... No, don't give me too much credit here, John. Some of this is just like, that's the way that cookie crumbles. All right, I'm a little hungry. I could use a cookie. Let's see what we got. Number 15. Okay. got somewhere maybe emotionally hmm fairly confident this is conan the barbarian it is excellent it has some of that you know snake charmer woodwind effect that i was referencing earlier on top of some meandering chords white note composing we were talking about i tried to go for one that wasn't really on the nose the exact chords that we talked about but the whole thing kind of sounds like that yeah it's, it's all around those but then there was really some other notes there at the end when they got to a thing at the end what did they get to and i just don't think I'm going to get to say what they got to. Just go ahead and tell me. I'm, I'm, I'm waving the white flag on what this could be. This is, you know, some business in Conan. Uh, Conan business. How about that? Uh, close. Close. I knew it would be. This is the Q funeral pyre. Yeah. And at that moment there, he put the torch to the pyre and the flame lights. And, Honestly, uh, I remember singling that out as a thing that I liked. The thing you singled out is a few bars down the line when there are some big brass pyramids to show how much emotion he's feeling, even though, as Supatai says, he is Conan the Sumerian. He cannot cry, so I cry for him. Wow. But that hasn't happened yet. Okay. I remember thinking, at least to myself, if not noting it down, that I liked that change mm -hmm. to show that like, we climbed over some kind of wall of where we were to where the important emotions are kept, and I dug it. I think it's like the audience, certainly the wizard in the movie makes eyes like, oh, he's never seen a burning funeral pyre before. I think we're supposed to be stunned like, oh, he's really going to burn the body. Oh, my goodness. How primal and stirring. Hmm. All right. Cool. All right. 16. that and that it's not that or that or that or that yeah i mean with the use of the list this is going to be pretty hard to get wrong most of the things from here out so maybe even don't stare at the list but if you want stare at the list i mean i think what you've done here is a really admirable job of finding a spot in 
the thing that I have the freshest memory of that I still can't quite put my finger on, but I'm pretty sure this has to be from How to Train Your Dragon. It is, and thank you for telling me I, I did a good job finding You did a, such a good job. Andy, you've been doing such a good job this whole time. I mean, it's been really... Oh, thank you, It's John. been really noticeable. Two points for me. Yeah, but no more than two. Come on. Yeah, I couldn't trick you, but uh, when does this happen? Great question. I mean, it's sad, right? It's apprehensive and sad for a moment, and then, and then... <gasps> Yeah, but then something happens. Ah. And then some drums come in, too. I mean, it's not... Is it the moment when Toothless reveals that he has rescued Hiccup? Exactly that moment, yes. Nice! I'm so sorry. That is the cue, where is Hiccup? Where is Hiccup? The answer is... Oh, spoiler, don't spoil it. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He is somewhere, though. He is. Hiccup! Where is it? Here is Hiccup. The other nursery rhyme. All right, I'm, I'm motivated. Keep moving. 17. This is a violin-forward thing, and there are a few things that are violin-forward on this list, including a title that has the word violin right in it, which is obviously the first thing that I thought of, but it's not the red violin. And how do you know that? Because these chords are not... I was going to say, I don't think Corleano would use these chords, but he might, but he didn't in this movie, because these chords have nothing to do with the chaconne that he wrote. That's true. Good ear. And frankly, also because there's more than one violin that is featured. There's a few different solo strings audible here, as opposed to the one red violin. I don't think Corigliano ever goes to, like, a chamber sound. It's usually mostly a concerto texture in that movie. I think that's mostly right. I think there is at least one chambery cue when she's writing the letters to uh, the lover in the 19th century, but I think you're mostly right. And also, it doesn't sound like a Stradivarius. That's a good point. Yeah, it sounds a little grittier. It sounds like it's uh, more, I dare say, cognitively evocative. Mm. So what's the other movie that has... Uh, cognitively evocative violin playing in this list. Of course, it has to be Young Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Which scene in Young Frankenstein? You can't. No, John, that's not right. <laughs> guess again. <laughs> that was a joke guess, and you really, you kind of threw me for a moment by not acknowledging that it was a joke right at first. Obviously, this is not Young Frankenstein, the Mel Brooks comedy. This is the very serious music written by Johnny Greenwood for There Will Be Blood. Correct. What scene is this? Correct. What scene is this? Now, remember, identifying the scene is almost impossible. I really think that identifying the scene, I think, is going to be almost impossible. But not for that one listener out there who is acing the quiz and beating you at every turn. I'm so impressed with that one listener, and you're really going to love this grand prize. You're going to want to claim it. Say about where in the movie it is. Like beginning, middle, end, before, after, bad things. Where are we? I think this is towards the end of the movie. Uh, I was going for middle. That was my next guess. I think this is kind of in the middle of the movie. Mm-hmm. 
All right, John, I'm just going to tell you, okay? You should just tell me. Don't feel like you have to hold it back for too long here. Just, you can just go ahead and tell me most of the time. Uh, this is the track called Oil, which means nothing, but apparently that's the <laughs> title he gave this. It's a transition. The first half, Daniel Plainview has forced the now-deaf HW to drink his milk and go to bed, and you see that their relationship is not really quite what it ought to be anymore. And then mm-hmm. he steps outside to ask his long-lost brother Henry right, if right. he wants a job or what their relationship is going to be like. Can you picture the scene? I guess so, yeah. So! Yeah. And what is it about? The reason that this is hard to identify is... Yeah. What do you want, Henry? Oh, it wasn't really written to the scene, and Paul Thomas Anderson isn't really trying to make you connect it directly to the actions. It's kind of a feeling in the air. Mm-hmm. It's a world of feelings turning in space yeah. while these people's lives play out. A world of feelings turning in space while these people's lives play out. That's what I said. That's exactly the words I just said. Yeah. Next. 18. Thanks for playing this after There Will Be Blood. But I think I know what it is. Yeah, this is one that I would have a lot more difficult time with if it didn't happen to be one of the soundtracks that I've listened to the most times in my life. This is from the desert in The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. That's absolutely correct. And I know you, you know, put in the work with this one. You put in the training time over the years. Mm-hmm. But I think it's in the music, too. It, it is. It is. Like all of these different tremolo clips that I found, they're all really different. Yeah, you found a bunch of tremolo clips. But this one's really different, right? Just those, like, single right. trumpet notes or whatever they are. Well, there's a, definitely a trumpet note at the end, which was a signal point. Yeah. They give the whole thing a different feeling. You can feel that you're in Morricone's tremolo and not someone else's. Yeah, you really can. It's softer, but it's also more mythic. It's more at that Hmm. remove of an unreality that Morricone imparts to a lot of things, that Sergio Leone imparts to things. I feel like I can hear it, that it's this mythic desert trial that the guy is being put through. I agree completely. And how does he get that just into those notes moving around? I don't know. It has to do with recording quality, too. It has to do with so many things. Agreed. All right. You know what we're doing here, Andy? You know what we keep doing in this little exercise? We keep listening to some more film music. Let's listen to some more film music, John. Let's listen to... Let's listen to some more film music. A 19th film music. This has to be a comedy, or at least comedic. You don't need to role play figuring it out. You can just say when you know. <laughs> I'm actually not sure. All right. I'm actually not sure. Okay. If this is Young Frankenstein or Back to the Future. Wow, fascinating. Well, John, it is determinable. Listen, listen closely to what the actual notes are. Okay. It's uh, hiding in plain sight kind of thing. Oh, it's the theme. It's the theme. Dun, 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 yum, ba, dun, dun. 
Right, if you played that theme on a soupish multi violin, then you definitely get Young Frankenstein. That's so this right. is creeping around. This is some sort of creeping around the castle. Mm, oh, not quite. Oh? And now that I've told you it's not around the castle, where is it? You should be able to get it now. Uh, I mean, most of the movie takes place in the castle. That's right. So you only have a couple of options. Is it when uh, Marty Feldman is getting the brain from the lab? No, but it's a lot like that. Okay, but it's a good guess. You have to say it's a good guess. It was a good guess. Thank you. It was a good guess. Uh, is it when they are digging up the dead body? Correct. This is the cue graveyard. Graveyard. Okay. <laughs> they are sneaking into the graveyard. Okay. All right, we got there together, Andy. I appreciated doing it that way. We did. It was collaborative. But you, uh, once I told you where to look for the hint, you picked it right up. Well, because there it was. That's right. As you were right to point out. Number 20. Um, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. It's a good clip. I feel good about that one. It could have been harder if I put it earlier, but still a good clip. You mean it's good because you found a really tricky thing, right? It's a clip that, like so many of these others, it is satisfying to me to have it defamiliarized and put in front of me as just an isolated thing, and I get to, yeah. to hear it freshly. All right. Despite my anxiety about whether I'm guessing correctly, it has been rewarding to just open myself up to what is this telling me? What, what is, it telling is you? this suggesting to my brain? All right. Random string notes. Ooh, there's some broken piano chord in there. Rhythmic timpani. Only a few people would do this that are left. gliss off at the end. How do you feel? What's going on? Turmoil. Turmoil is going on. Yeah. How high are the stakes at this point? The highest. Yeah. How are things going? Poorly. <laughs> they really are not going well. Yeah, they're really not going well. I mean, not all of the composers that are left on this list would have an aleatoric string texture in it, by which I mean a texture in which the strings have been clearly instructed to play on their own recognizance, play random notes, and, you know, it's unpredictable exactly what sound you're going to get when you tell a section of people to do that, but that's the intention. That's that high, shrieking, boiling energy at the top of the range here. They're playing 16th note figures that have been marked all notes random. All notes random. Yeah, like, Brad Fidel isn't doing this. He can't afford all of those violins. No, he can't, right. Herman isn't doing this with his violins. Not that we know of anyway. No. I don't think he ever did that. It's not really in his personality. I don't think he did. He wouldn't let things be up to random chance. Yeah, if he wanted to make crazy noise. He would write out the crazy noise. He would write it out, and it would be mathematical. Yeah, exactly. No, I think the composer that's left on this list that would write crazy noise is John Carigliano, the composer of the Red Violin. Hmm. I'm so gratified that this clip is giving you any trouble because I feared that putting it this late, the process of elimination... It's not Carigliano? It's not, John. That was the trap, though. That was the trap. Yeah, it sure was. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I mean, I definitely didn't recognize it from the Red Violin, but I was just going on, who would do this? That was very much the trap in mind, but I thought maybe that trap needed to be sprung earlier, but no. 
there's a certain pride in falling into the intended trap, you know? Like Yeah, everything is going according to plan. That's a good feeling. Right. The fact that it's not my plan, uh, who am I to, you know, be bothered by that? Oh, yes. You know, if you go to a magic show <laughs> and you feel like, I don't know where that rabbit came from, you're the correct audience member. You're doing it exactly right. I'm doing it right. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You know who... Ah! The piano gave it away. The piano, ultimately. That little... Oh, yeah. I should have paid attention to that because I don't think there's a piano in the red violin at all. This has got to be when Marty McFly's hand is disappearing. That is exactly correct. Yes. Ooh, this was so satisfying. Because Silvestri has this in his bag of tricks, but it's not the featured thing. It's a textural thing. Yeah, and really, it's that piano gesture that sounds like all of his little thrown-off twinkles through the rest of the movie that really focused it in for me here. That's really interesting to me because it's so hidden in the texture. It's interesting that that helped you through because to me, you just either recognize this moment or you don't, but you figured it out with some logicking. That's great. Yeah, with some logicking and a big assist from the process of elimination. Well, that's why I'm saying, oh, it's so great that this still turned out to be a puzzle even though it's, it's late in the game and you only have a couple of things to choose from. Yeah, but then once I faced up to it being Back to the Future, well, then it had to be this moment when the stakes are the very highest and, and the most dire. And isn't it kind of cool to have that thing isolated so you can like notice it for the first time in your life? That's how I felt. That's a great point. Excuse me. Okay, 21. Yes. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't hide this. Yeah, well, this is some exercised string playing that also suggests high stakes direness. But boy, this sure does sound exactly like the chords and the harmonic structure that John Carigliano built for the Red Violin. Finally, I'm sure I'm right that this is that. Uh-huh, I'd say the scene. And I think that this is the scene towards the end when it's like the montage of Samuel L. Jackson escaping from the auction house. Absolutely correct. 100%, 110 points. Great. Yes. The back of the hall. 420, 500, 500,000. Against the telephone now, 500, stop it. No. I could have found a harder clip from the movie, but I was just too attracted to juxtaposing those two clips. That's great. I mean, as evidenced by the fact that I was tempted to say that several of the previous ones were from this movie. But yes, this is definitely from that movie. I just, putting that next to the scene from Back to the Future amused me, so I did, and well identified. It amused me too, Andy. Very good, 22, we're nearing the end here. <laughs> I laughed like that because that also sounds like you put it intentionally after the previous two. Yes, that's right. Some of these it's like, well, I can't make this hard, but I can make it at least sort of an interesting connection. I mean, it's still a little hard. Oh, really? Okay. Well, that do that string slide, there are a few things left on this list that it could be. That requires a certain amount of playfulness mm -hmm. to be allowable. You couldn't be quite this playful, let's say, in the Antarctic outside of the penguins that we already heard. I mean, you found, I think, a really opaque 
spot in this score, but I think it has to be from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. <laughs> no, I didn't think I'd get you with this one, but I did. Take that. It's not from Snow White. It feels so good to get a, a win when I didn't expect one. I thought that this was sort of, we're done at this point, but we're not done, and that's great. I totally hear why you would say that. It's got Mickey Mousing. It sounds old-fashioned. It's got Mickey Mousing. It sounds old-fashioned and Mickey Mousy and playful, but... Is this Frederick March's shoes? That is essentially correct, yes. Yes, this is from the best years of our lives. I had to go to the, uh, a thing that sounded similarly old-fashioned and has some playful moments in it. It's immediately after the shoes. He has just thrown his shoes out the window. The first effect in this clip is him letting the blinds drop after having done that. I should have guessed it from that because now I'm remembering that this soundtrack has some of the sound effects mixed into the music clips that we listen to here, and you can hear the window opening in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, I think that is the sound of the blinds, yeah. And then he yeah. he sort of trudges over to the mirror and starts comparing his bleary face to like a dapper photo of himself that's on the yeah, dresser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> well, everything I said about Snow White is still correct here. You found a pretty opaque and unrecognizable spot from the best years of our lives that has nothing to do with all of the really, really wonderful music in it. 23. 23. Interesting, interesting. Interesting. Okay, well... I see what you've done here. You've waited until there were only a few things left that have in common that they use synthetic instruments. The Princess Bride and Terminator 2 and A Clockwork Orange all have heavy, notable use of synthetic instruments, which are clearly what I'm listening to in this clip. Yeah, kind of set apart from everything else. So yeah, exactly. Might as well treat them as a, a mini puzzle. It's clearly not The Princess Bride. Or The Princess Bride. <laughs> I'm still going to say it that way. I still just think it's a singular morpheme in my head. That's fine. Continue. I think it has to be a clockwork orange. It is. And what moment is it? Is it when his head gets pushed in the trough? No. Play the very beginning of it again. Hmm. This is an excerpt from the grand tone poem track, Time Steps. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which you found a part of it that is in the movie, because not all of it is. Right. This plays while Alex is being shown some very well-made films about rape and murder, and he hasn't yet realized what's being done to him, but he's about to. And this mm -hmm. I've put down to all the rich food and vitamins. But I try to forget this, concentrating on the next film. I picked Which that particular right clip away because I thought I can't really trick you into thinking that these scores are each other. Out, but for out. just a brief second there, Wendy Carlos uses a rhythm that sounds a little like the Terminator. Dun, dun, yeah, dun. yeah. You're right, you're right. I mean, like I said, I kind of had to gather those possibilities together in my head and then decide which one it was. All right. All right, let's see another possibility. Yep. That sounds like some nice guitar playing and some less nice synth strings. 
How nice does it sound? John, are you sure that's a guitar? No, I'm not. No, it's not. No, it's not. And, oh, oh what did I just hear in the very tail of that? Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> boom, boom, In boom, the fade. Boom. In the ring out there. I don't know if you meant to include that, but you really did a great job again of finding a part of Terminator 2 that could plausibly be mistaken for something else. Yeah, and now that I'm listening for it, that is a Brad Fidel chord. So it's just like an open fifth, right? Yeah. And then this one. We're just going to move those around. All right, so this is some moment of tenderness in the roiling action of Terminator 2. Judgment Day. Oh, okay. Yeah, just to narrow it down. Oh, you know, what moment of tenderness is this? Um, you know, like when they're at the hideout in the middle of the movie or something like that. That's correct. Okay, I'll take it. Great. This is from the track on the soundtrack called Desert Sweet. Sarah Connor and Entourage have gone to her friend's house slash weapons storeroom in the desert. She just made a little speech about how in this crazy world... A murder robot is the best father. A yeah. Terminator is a better dad yeah. than anyone I've ever dated. And this is after that she's sort of looking at them and thinking some sad 90s thoughts about the end of the world. All right, well, speaking of murder robots, let's turn to 25. Uh-huh. I did it! Yes! <laughs> I guessed right. <laughs> Oh, wait a minute. No, I didn't. Damn it. <laughs> Andy. Wow. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. You really found the piece of Scott of the Antarctic that sounds like it could be from the day the Earth stood still. I'm amazed at how well the end of this quiz is going. <laughs> I mean, I was really priming myself for it to be the day the Earth stood still. I had I just took a flyer that I was going to... Because that's one of the four things that are left. I just... Took a chance mm-hmm. that that was going to be the connection. And then here are these two repeated things that sound a lot like... Yeah, that sounds like a chord from The Day the Earth Stood Still. Come on. It does. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. But then... So when did you know it wasn't? I think it was about here. I was like, oh, he doesn't do that. I don't think there were any wins in that score either. And Day the Earth Stood Still. I don't think there's any flutes to play that. You're right. Yeah. And then I started to hear, oh, this is the trudging, doomed trek. The kind of stepping. It's not actually. Well, it's about that, but it's not during that sequence. It's about Yeah, it's about that. I was about to say, Andy, it was, it's about that. Yeah. This is the cue called Nansen when Scott goes it, to fellow explorer cool, Nansen. Cool. Uh-huh. Who is telling Even him using sledges is a bad idea because once they animal. break down, they're worthless. You should use dogs. When a dog is finished, he is still some use to other dogs and even to man if need you be. Use dogs because then at least when they die, you can eat that them. That machine of yours, when it is finished, is just a heap of metal in the snow. Scott does not take his advice. Which is good for the dogs. I, no, it's still not good for the dogs. Three more to go. Three to go. 26. Okay, well, here's your murder robot.
was one off. This is a cue about Gort in the day the Earth stood still. Mm-hmm. What's he doing? What's he doing? I think this is when Billy or is it Bobby? There's no way of knowing. It's both. It's both. When Billy Bob follows Michael Rennie at night and sees him interacting with Gort. Nope. Nope. I mean, like, odd stuff is happening. This is what the music is telling me. But it's not the highest energy odd stuff. It's like the unfolding of a process of odd stuff. There are those bent timpani notes that are definitely associated with Gort. I don't know. What's he doing exactly? Yeah, I think you're hearing as kind of low energy and thus inessential what is actually meant as funereal. Funereal. He is carrying ah. the corpse of Klaatu. He has brought him from the prison okay. and has entered the uh, UFO and is carrying him to the resurrection machine. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. 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 Okay. All right. Two left. Two left. And John, the game is over, but we got to go through these, so go for it. I know which ones these are. Yeah. I know which are the two left. Yeah. And as I remember saying in the first quiz, if you have found clips that could possibly confuse the two, my hat is off to you. No, they're at the end because I couldn't. All right. These are at the end because I forfeit on the can you guess the score front. You can, but I want you to actually try to guess the scene. Okay. I mean, as we all know, this is the Cliss of Insanity in The Princess Bride. Mm-hmm. Now, I made the same joke in the last time. This is some sort of evil doing in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I think the witch has got to be on the screen here. I also took this clip because I love that run. It's so satisfying. I think this is somewhere in the scene where she turns herself into the old hag. She's like going through a book of spells. You're close. You're so close. I'm going to keep steering you. It's not when she's going through a book of spells. Uh, this isn't the moment of the transformation or maybe it's just before or just after. It is one of those. It is one of those. Is this like when the uh, when we see the raven inside of the skull? Yes. Yes. You're going to get full credit for that. This is okay. the moment that her transformation is revealed. Ah. She's cackling and she says, my voice, my voice. My and then voice. the camera comes down and we see her new hag self. My <laughs> and then the shock chord at the end there is the raven is scared and falls into the skull. Cool. Yes, it is cool. It is cool because... In this movie, the music really has to like make the moves with the action. And yeah, you can hear all that stuff in it, or you can hear the feeling of all that stuff in it. Just that sort of pseudo-classical romantic thing that the strings right. do there running down. It's so vigorous and full-blooded commitment to this, and it just feels good. I love it. I love the... Yeah. It's so overdramatic. It's showmanship. Showmanship, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right, so by process of elimination, I've already given it away. This is from The Princess Bride, but what's it going to be? It sure is. What scene? When does this happen? Oh, listen to that lovely guitar playing. <laughs> Sounds like a guitar this time. Huh. Hmm. little grace note slide there so that you know this is not just sampled guitar in Terminator's world. That's a real live guitar. Yeah. 
This is not one of the like really memorable moments, music-wise, but it's nice. Mm -hmm. And it sounds to me like a story is being told. It is, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, that chord, right? It's a nice little moment, isn't it? It's a nice moment, yeah. And again, we end on the minor. Somebody's telling a sad story. You know who's telling a sad story, John? Peter Falk. Peter Falk is telling a sad He's telling a part of the story that is a sad and deflated part. In fact, is Fred Savage about to pipe up and say, you got it wrong? Fred Savage, here's your clue, says something during this very clip. Oh, he says something. Well. He says something while that music is playing that does not stop the music. I have it. I mean, I have it in my head. And I'll tell you what, I kind of feel like if I just make my brain go, "Mm," I'll get to the Mm -hmm. shape of thought of where I know the scene. Yeah, I can. It's like a close your eyes and start watching The Princess Bride until this happens. A little melancholy bit. And he makes a little wisecracker remark that Peter Falk just kind of skates past. He skates past it, yeah. And the music skates past it, too. And I can hear the rhythm of that. I can hear the feeling of that. And the music is shaping my brain around how that feels. But I don't think it's yet dredging up the actual linguistic information. Well, let's work it out. Who in this movie gets sad? Inigo gets sad. When does he get sad? When he thinks that the man in black is dead. Yeah, but the tone is not so mournful as this. In that, it's kind of like, can we save him? This seems pretty resigned, don't you think? Yeah, it does. Especially the way it ends. Yeah. It doesn't get more resigned than that. It just ends on a minor chord. Hmm. It also is kind of like kind of a chapter ending sound, right? Yeah, very much. Yeah. When does a chapter end and then there's, you know, possibly a reestablishing of things? Fresh start. Maybe there's a passage of time after. Oh, is this is this when Buttercup thinks that Wesley is dead in the beginning? It is, yes. Okay. Wesley didn't reach his destination. This is the track his on the soundtrack called the I Will Never Love Again. <sighs> and Fred Savage says, alive. Murdered by Pirates Buttercup is good. got the news the that Wesley that was murdered. Murdered by Pirates is good. She went into her room and shut the door. And for days, she neither slept nor ate. I will never love again. John, you've made it to the end really of the have. second annual, but it's not annual. You've made it to the end of the second trial of settling the score. Congratulations. Wow. Your score is success. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. And a sincere thank you for setting all of those puzzles for me. I'm glad to have given you the satisfaction of falling into so many of your traps. <laughs> you really did. I was afraid that the second half of this was going to be like, well, I know that it's none of the things you could have tricked me into, but each of my desperate last couple of tricks worked. (laughs) What a glorious feeling. Thank you, John. Well, this was fun for me too, Andy, despite how many rakes I stepped on. I hope it was fun enough for the listener, but if it wasn't, don't worry. We only seem to do this once every few years, and we're going back to regularly scheduled stuff, which means that the next episode is the lottery-prescribed episode on The Conversation. Yes. Competing for our time with the impending Oscars episode, which uh, we'll see which one makes it to the gate first. How it impends. It really does. But yes, we've got different balls up in the air, and here they come. Raining down. If you made it all the way through this Thank you so much for playing along. Thank you so much for listening along this whole time. We appreciate it so deeply and sincerely. And hey, if you want to do us a favor, it really does help, as I've said before. If you want to write us a review, 
it helps the show's performance in search results and things like that for there to be that kind of activity on the show's page. So uh, if you haven't done that before, really appreciate that. And we super duper appreciate those who have done it before. We read them all and we're very, very flattered. We're grateful to all of our supporters on Patreon. That has been such an encouraging and flattering thing in the last couple years of this show. Thank you to those of you who've joined us there. Thank you to those of you who are listening and haven't joined us there. But if you do want to join us there, there is some bonus stuff there, extra bits from the show, extra episodes, and of course the poll to narrow the lottery options. Although there's no lottery this time because this is a show inserted in the middle of the continuity. A disruptive show. This is the end of the disruption. We're going to be back to being eruptive next time. Yes, thank you for your patience. Thank you for everything. Thank you, Andy. I want to thank you for being on this journey with me. Thank you for preparing this quiz for me. And thanks for being uh, my partner on the show. Uh, I'm enjoying it. Likewise, John, except for the quiz part, you owe me one. (laughs) I do owe you, and you're going to get it. Okay. At some point. See you next time. All right. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) 